illuminating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to The Kale Clark Show, and I have to say this, may the 4th be with you. And with your spirit. That's my congregation here. That's producer Jim. We've got Lauren in the house as well. One of our great engineers, and we want to welcome you to Star Wars Day on the Kale Clark Show. And even if you're not a Star Wars fan, even if you're not, you, you are going to really, really enjoy the show. We're going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to talk about the Mandalorian and all the links between that show and the Catholic Church. You you're not going to believe this. In real life, Obi Wan Kenobi became Catholic. Yep, going to tell you about that. He was a wise man in more ways than one. Lots more faith, facts, and fun to come on the show. But you're going to want to call this number right now to save your spot. Get in on the conversation. 888-914-9149. And I also want to give out the email address, klecale at relevantradio.com. And you can also tweet at me at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E, and we have a show account as well, at Kale Clark Show, and of course the Relevant Radio account, at Relevant Radio. Check it out, there's a great graphic for today's program by John Hanready. It's it's one of the best he's ever done with The Mandalorian, with Baby Yoda. You gotta see this, it's so, so good. So check that out on Twitter, at Kale Clark. And so, The Mandalorian, if you're, if you're fans of The Mandalorian, and I'm not sure if you are or not, uh, personally... I haven't gotten around to watching it yet, but my wife is a huge fan. I mean, she really geeks out on this stuff. And so uh, I've, it's amazing, though. I, I read this article that explains all the links between the Mandalorian and Catholicism. You're, you're, you're not going to believe this. This is really, really great. One of the things that the Mandalorians say is, this is the way. This is the way. And of course, the early church was called the way. Soon after Easter, if you read the Acts of the Apostles, that's what they were called. And they became known as Christians in Antioch. That's where Peter was before he went on to Rome. So the Mandalorians say that, and the Mandalorian show is in its third season. The third season actually just dropped uh, in March, just a few days ago, uh, on Disney+. And it's set in the Star Wars universe, as it were. And The Mandalorian is really like, if you loved old Western movies, then you would love The Mandalorian because it's basically a Star Wars Western. It's like an old Western. And it's all about the adve- the adventures of The Mandalorian, whose real name is Din Djarin. And they also call him Mando. And in real life, it's Pedro Pascal, a.k.a. Pedro Pascal. And he's kind of the it guy in Hollywood right now, Pedro Pascal. He was the bad guy in Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, he was he's obviously a star in a really, really popular HBO series called The Last of Us. That's kind of the hot thing right now. He was also in The Equalizer 2. A really cool film, at least for me. I, I love Denzel Washington. I love The Equalizer films. They're going to make a third one. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. Pedro Pascal was in Game of Thrones as well. And so he, he's he's the guy. You don't You don't see his face very much, of course, and I'll tell you why. Uh, but he plays the Mandalorian. Now... I will give some uh, spoilers here. So if you have not seen season three, there are going to be fairly minor spoilers, I think. But I, I'll, I'll, I will alert you to anything major. Uh, you can just kind of plug your ears and go, nah, 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 until I'm done. And I, I will, I will uh, apprise you of any uh, spoilers coming up. 
But essentially, the uh, the plot line of the Mandalorian is that he was raised by a group called the Children of the Watch. The Children of the Watch. It was kind of a cult, if you will. And the cult split apart uh, from society on the war-ravaged planet known as Mandalore. So the Mandalorian, or Mando for short, he was trained as a warrior. He's really great with hand-to-hand combat. Uh, great with weapons as well. And his armor that he wears, if you've seen images of the Mandalorian, if you haven't seen the show, he wears this near-impenetrable armor. And this group, the Children of the Watch, they strictly adhere to a set of beliefs known as the Creed, quote-unquote. That doesn't sound Catholic at all, does it? They adhere to a strict set of beliefs called the Creed. And they kind of sum up the Creed and everything that they believe by saying, this is the way. This is the way. And I read a piece about this online that was written by Kate O'Hare uh, from Family Theater Productions. She kind of explained all, all the Catholic links with the Mandalorian. And so the Mandalorian's armor is, uh, is, was mined from this, this, it was this, it's made of this metal that was mined on a place called Beskar. And one of the things that the Mandalorian can never do, he's never supposed to do this, he's never supposed to take off his helmet in front of other living beings. This is part of their way, it's part of their creed. So he, here's the story so far. This is what happened in season number one. The Mandalorian's working as a bounty hunter, and he has to collect what a lot of people thought was baby Yoda. It, it looks just like Yoda, of the same species as Yoda, but it's, uh, we now know this creature's name, uh, Grogu. Grogu is, is basically the child, the, the baby Yoda type. I know it's not Yoda, but you know what I'm talking about. And so he, he has to save Grogu from really certain death, a terrible fate. And he kind of takes responsibility for this little one. And it's kind, of a, it's kind of a nice little narrative how he looks after the child. And the Mandalorian finds out later that Grogu is just as powerful with the Force as Yoda himself. And in fact, he is supposed to be, little Grogu is supposed to become a Jedi Knight like Yoda. However, Grogu wants to remain with the Mandalorian. He doesn't want to kind of do that. He wants to hang with the Mandalorian. And he wants to now join this group that he's a part of called the Children of the Watch. So, all right. So that's essentially what Grogu is doing now. He's in training to be part of the Children of the Watch. Now, uh, in this little article, Kate O'Hare, she actually interviews a, a Catholic priest, Father Vince Cuna, who's a, who's a big fan of the show. And she asked Father Vince, hey, what, what, what about these links between the Mandalorian and Catholicism? So here's a little spoiler alert for you. If you haven't seen Season 2 or you haven't seen the end of Season 2, you're going to want to plug your ears for a second. So at the end of Season 2... The Mandalorian does the one thing he, he's not supposed to do. He takes off his helmet. He breaks the creed uh, of his people. He, he becomes a, a bit of an outcast. All right. So, so he, here's, here's the clip. This is what happens to him when, when he does this. These are the consequences that he has to face. Check this out. Yeah. Dinjarin, have you ever removed your helmet? Have you ever removed your helmet? By creed, 
You must vow. I have. Then you are a Mandalorian no more. I beg you for your forgiveness. How can I atone? Leave apostate. According to Creed, one may only be redeemed in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore. But the mines have all been destroyed. This is the way. Okay, so... Ooh, he's actually called an apostate. When he, when he, he takes, he breaks the creed, he takes off his helmet, he becomes an outcast. He's actually called an apostate. And that's what they call people who abandon the faith, who abandon the Catholic faith. And in the early church, there was a huge problem with this because obviously the church was illegal. It was illegal to be a Catholic in the Roman Empire in the first few centuries until the Edict of Milan that was promulgated, of course, by the Emperor Constantine. And eventually, Catholicism became the official religion of the Roman Empire. So what a change, what a shift. But it wasn't always that way. When the church was underground, when the church was in the catacombs, when the church was being persecuted for centuries, a lot of Catholics paid with their lives. The early martyrs of the church, a lot of them maybe survived, but were a little bit the worse for wear. Uh, they were tortured, they were imprisoned, all kinds of terrible things happened to them. And so at the Council of Nicaea, this became a, a real problem because there were, there were guys at the council who had apostatized. They had left the faith, and the question was, what do you do with these guys? Should they be forgiven? Are they allowed to be forgiven? Can they come back into the church? Or are they out forever? Are they permanently excommunicated because they renounced Jesus Christ publicly? So very often they were... They were the way that they kind of thought about it was well, you know, inwardly I believe in Jesus, but outwardly, if I have to burn a little incense to the Roman emperor as if he's a god, you know, God understands that I don't really believe that. So maybe they tried to rationalize it away, but of course, it was a bit of a public scandal to be sure. And what do you do with these guys? And there, it was a problem because there were people at the council, there were church fathers at the council who had suffered, who were missing their eyeballs, who, had, who were missing limbs, who, were, who, had, who had welts on their back and, and scars on their back from beatings and, 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 and whippings, and maybe they were burned. And, and they were, some of them were not super kosher with the idea of letting these apostates back in almost scot-free. And obviously the church worked it out. And how, how they basically did that was to say, look, what do you do if you've really messed up royally after baptism, if you've committed a mortal sin? This is where the sacrament of reconciliation really became super strong in the church. Now, obviously, this is instituted by Jesus himself, John chapter 20. We looked at this at Easter time. After the resurrection, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be doing a series on the Holy Spirit for the faith explained leading up to Pentecost. You're not going to want to miss this. We've got to get ready for this because the Holy Spirit and again, people try to make the analogy with Star Wars, it's the Force. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit in some ways is very mysterious, like the Force in Star Wars, but and many people throughout history, and St. Jose Maria Escrivá called him the Great Unknown. You know, a lot of people, we, we seem to understand, at least at a human level, God the Father a little bit easier, God the Son, of course, he becomes one of us, I get that. But the Holy Spirit always remains mysterious. And so we've got to get to know the Holy Spirit. We've got to pray to the Holy Spirit, develop a relationship with 
him because he is one of the persons of the Blessed Trinity. So the question was, can these people be forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? And so this is where confession really became big in the church because there is no sin that can't be forgiven if you repent. The only unforgivable sin is not asking God to forgive you because then he can't because you've chosen not to. And so these apostates were welcome, provided that they repented. They were welcome back into the church. They didn't have to be rebaptized. A lot of people thought they, oh, they should be, re- they should have to go through it all, all over again from the start. No, no, no. You don't have to be rebaptized. Baptism is a once for all sacrament. It's unrepeatable. But confession in so many ways, and this is what uh, Father Vince Kunis said in this article, confession is in so many ways an extension of baptism. And he says when, when penitents come to him in the confessional, one of the things he likes to say to them after giving absolution is that, hey, it's very much like you've been restored to the purity of your baptism. And the Lord is saying to you what he said to the sinful woman, go and sin no more. Okay, It's a, it's a really uh, fresh start. And that's exactly what the Mandalorian has to do. He has to go back to his home world. And what he has to do in order to be forgiven for what he's done, he has to bathe in the living waters. This is kind of wild. It's it's like a symbolic baptism. He has to find these waters. And it's really tricky. He has to go through a lot to get there. A lot of suffering to find this water, this living water, underneath the Beskar mines on his home planet. And he has to be, quote-unquote, redeemed. And so, thank goodness for us, it's not that difficult for us to be redeemed. Uh, we simply have to go back to confession. There, there's, the great thing is, if you're Catholic and you're not in a state of grace, or you've been away for a while, you're just one good confession away from being back in the grace of God. And we should take advantage of that. We should really take advantage of that. And I think that's this idea of, of people being afraid that they'll never be forgiven again. I think this is why when Jesus appeared to the apostles in that upper room, we see this in John's gospel. One, one of the things that he always says was, when, when, he, when he appears is, peace be with you, peace be with you. And a lot of them are startled. They, they think it's a spirit. They, th- they don't, they, Jesus says, no, 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 I'm physical. And he says in Luke 24, touch me and see, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. I have flesh and bones. And he says, peace be with you, because a lot of them are probably freaking out, thinking he's going to take vengeance on us. Because we all betrayed him. John was the only guy who stuck at the foot of the cross, but everybody else ran away. And some people did more than run away. Judas actually betrayed him. Peter denied him. Is he coming back for vengeance? No, he's not. He's coming to restore you. He's coming for restoration. And so this is so, so important. And this idea of forgiveness that we can be redeemed, just as the Mandalorian uh, is Redeem. We're going to have much more on this after the break. We'd love to hear your take on this. 888-914-9149. I'm going to take a quick, quick break on May the 4th day, Star Wars Day on The Kale Clark Show. Be right back. Clark Show, giving you the confidence to bring the faith into everyday life. Darth, I appreciate that. 888 914 
9149. May the fourth be with you. We're talking about specifically the Mandalorian in the Star Wars universe. Season three just dropped on Disney Plus. What are the parallels between it and the Catholic faith? There are a lot. There are many. And in fact, just check out the trailer. We're going to pre- play you the trailer for season three. Just, just, just think about this. There's a lot that's there. Check it out. Our people are scattered like stars in the galaxy. What are we? What do we stand for? Being a Mandalorian is not just learning about how to fight. You also have to know how to navigate the galaxy. That way, you'll never be lost. Forgiven for my transgressions. May the force be with you! This is the way. There's something dangerous happening out there. And by the time it becomes big enough for you to act, it'll be too late. just see the parallels there forgiven for my transgressions this is the way as we talked about before the break the mandalorians have this creed that they that they must obey and of course the mandalorian uh, himself uh, in, in the show mando played by pedro pascal he breaks the creed he takes off his helmet so he's got to atone for his sins he's got to go back to his home planet bathe in the living waters and be redeemed so the parallels with Catholicism are absolutely huge. And then in episode number three of season three, and you can uh, just plug your ears if you don't want the spoiler, that episode is called The Convert. The Convert. And there's another character named Bo-Katan, and she is a member of a royal Mandalorian family, and she has rejected the creed. She has rejected the creed of the Mandalorians, and she calls it a superstition. It's nothing but superstition. And that, that's exactly how a lot of postmoderns today view Catholicism. They view uh, our beliefs, our creed, our statement of faith as nothing more than superstition at best. And so th- this is what we've got to overcome in our world as well. But what's interesting is that in the episode, and again, a little spoiler here, she has to dive into Bo-Katan, who's very supersti- you know, who thinks it's all superstition, who's kind of a, a, a doubting Thomas kind of character, when she dives into the living waters of the planet of Mandalore herself, she's trying to save the Mandalorian. In the waters there, she sees a creature that she, everyone thought was a myth. She thought it w- wasn't real, and, and it's the name of the creature is actually the Mythosaur. Okay, so uh, they didn't get too creative with that one, but this mythical creature is called the Mythosaur, this huge beast, and she thought... There was no such thing. So she, kind of like the Loch Ness Monster, she dives in, she sees a mythosaur. Okay, all right, now I believe. Now I believe. 
So it's a little bit like Thomas, right, in, in the Gospel of John, how he refuses to believe. He refuses to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's not there when Jesus appears the first time, but a week later he is there. And Jesus says, okay, you got to touch the wounds. you got to plunge your hand into my side. Uh, it's me. It's really me. And I bet he did. Now, the text doesn't tell us in John 20 that he actually does do that. But come on, I'm sure he did. I would have. I totally would have. <laughs> Plunge the hand in, you know, oh, wow, I can feel your pancreas. No, but but I, I would have to say, yes, 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 yes. I, I've done this. This this is Christ is corporal. He's physical. He's risen from the dead bodily. This is very, very real. But then Jesus says, of course, the very famous line to Thomas and it, it's not necessarily, I don't, I don't think, a repudiation of Thomas's faith, uh, but we all know this very, very well. In John chapter 20, what does Jesus say? Uh, he says, you have believed. And he says, my Lord and my God, okay, all right, you're real, I, I give in. And then Jesus says to him in John chapter 20, verse 29, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Now, the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian character uh, in the show, he, he, he really does believe without seeing. He really does have that kind of faith. And so, it's not a bad thing to, to ask for proof. There, there's no question about that. And, and we, we Catholics don't require people to believe without evidence. A lot of people think that we do. Um, a lot of people think that we have no evidence for the God that we believe in and for the life of Christ. It's not true. He, this is not the flying spaghetti monster that atheists talk about. He really existed. Historical proofs. Historians wrote about, even non-Catholic, secular historians wrote about the life and the death of Jesus of Nazareth. And so there's so much proof for his resurrection from a historical point of view as well. That's what really got me when I was in university. I was very skeptical I, I was a doubter. I thought it was superstition, but I came to realize, no, this is historical. It's real. And so, Father Vince Kuna, in this article, he talks about two types of truths. Empirical truths and theological truths. And the empirical truths, he says, you can, you can measure those under a microscope. But theological truths, you can't measure under a microscope. Uh, that God is a trinity of persons. There's no way to figure that out from the scientific method, so to speak. You can't put God under a microscope, but you can believe it based on revelation, based on the data that we do have that's revealed to us by God about who he is, especially in the person of Jesus Christ. But it's hard sometimes to quote unquote prove things 100%, but what we can offer is evidence. And proof would be what happened to Paul. And we talked about him, I believe, yesterday, St. Paul, when, when, on the Damascus Road. He, he gets incontrovertible evidence that Jesus is alive. He, he is, his choice, his free will, is really taken away at that point. That's not the way God works with 99.9% with .9 of us. He gives us evidence. He, he gives us more than enough evidence of his existence, of his reality. But then we have to take that step of faith. And so he, he does leave some room for, for human choice. And so... It's, it's always been the way that he's acted. He could have shown up. Jesus could have revealed himself to the whole world the way he revealed himself to Paul. He could have revealed himself to the high priest. He didn't do that. I mean, after the resurrection, he didn't say, I'm back. You know, and, ah, you know. He didn't take revenge, at least on that guy, on Caiaphas. Maybe in the afterlife he did. But 
But that's not what he did. And so he wants people to be convinced by our preaching, our sharing, and, and that's how we do it. But I, I do think there is something, something, um, something to this idea of we, we do get a little bit of extra credit for taking the word of Christ, even though we haven't seen him personally, uh, as the Apostle Thomas did, by, by believing based on the word of, of the ones he has sent and the evidence that he's left behind. Um, that, 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 that really is something that is important. It kind of comes through here. And so the Mandalorian wasn't beyond redemption. He broke the creed, he apostatized, but he came back. He came back. He was redeemed. And the same can be true for us as Catholics. Even if we've committed a terrible sin, we've renounced the faith, we've, we've done something that's morally reprehensible, nothing is beyond the mercy of Christ. And so we have to be very, very careful that we walk that middle road, that via media, that we don't fall into what G.K. Chesterton said are the two ditches on either side of the road. One ditch is called despair, this idea that God can't forgive me. Yes, he can. The only sin he can't forgive is the one you won't, won't confess. And then, of course, there is presumption. This idea that God must forgive me. I'm in simply because I'm a baptized Catholic. Doesn't matter what I do with my life. I'm going to make it automatically. It's, that's very similar to the attitude that some Protestants have of once saved, always saved. It's, it's not the case. You can lose your salvation. So presumption is, is not something we want to, that's not a ditch we want to fall into either. But uh, we can know that we're in God's grace, in his friendship. And when we fall out of it, uh, we can get back on the road. We can go to confession and, uh, and keep traveling, just like the Mandalorian does. Keep fighting uh, the evil that is out there. And sometimes evil is within us. We have to admit that as well. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. 888-914-9149. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to John in Wisconsin. Hi, John. Hey, how's it going, Phil? Very well, John. Very well. Outstanding. I gave you the traffic report from Madison, but it's pretty ugly right now. Listen, <laughs> I love your show. Appreciate it. Want to say you're welcome to Michaela, because she always thanks us for listening to you. Oh, I should say you're welcome, right? I'll However, pass it on. I, wanna, I, I, I generally agree with most of what you say. This one, I got I, I to gotta challenge you on a little bit of your endorsement sure. for this, and, and here's why. The Force in Star Wars. I'm going back mm-hmm. to the original one. Remember, yep. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. these are not the droids you seek, right? That's right. Um, an impression of something that could be controlled by man. And God and the Holy Spirit is not something that we can control, right? So now we fast forward to the Mandalorian. So, so we've got this New Age background. Bringing in the, the Catholic imagery, I think is kind of cool. And you piqued my interest in seeing the show now a little bit. But I think about what, what, what we've done to some of our, our Catholic events, like Christmas or Thanksgiving or mm-hmm. Easter, and how we've secularized them. And maybe not the, the Catholics haven't secularized them, but the, the world has secularized them. So bringing in this, this Catholic imagery, either it, it, it almost feels like it's the same thing that's happening. It's more secularization of it or trying to tie it into the New Age view of we can manipulate God. You know, let's say we're going and such. Yeah, that's a great Sorry, point. I, just, I hesitate to go a full endorsement for it. That's all. Yeah, and, and I'm not. I'm not necessarily just to clarify. I'm not necessarily endorsing it, but I'm trying to find 
uh, the points of overlap, the links that um, th- there is some common ground uh, in in terms of the worldview. What the creators of the Mandalorian uh, had in mind necessarily were they thinking about that? I'm not sure, but there are some points of contact. And certainly, you mentioned the the, the first Star Wars film uh, films, and it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit uh, confusing because, of course, uh, the three that were released first, uh, starting in the 1970s. Uh, with Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford, of course, Chewbacca and all that stuff. Th- those were those were the, actually the sequels, and then the prequels started coming out in 1999 with the Phantom Menace and all that stuff. You know how how Luke Skywalker comes to be, Anakin Skywalker, all that stuff. So Darth Maul. A lot of people were not fans of those films, including yours truly. I I, I did love the classic ones. Maybe I mean looking back on them, the, the effects weren't necessarily as good as what we have today with cgi but cgi i don't know i, I kind of like man-made effects the old-fashioned way but when i was a kid i saw that was the first movie i saw uh in um in in the theater as as a small child i saw the very first star wars film and i was like mesmerized by it i mean as a kid of course you're, you're sort of wide-eyed and uh but yeah a lot of people have said those first star wars films uh by george lucas were kind of drawing more in a new age uh, theme and, and and that this idea of the force can be manipulated, as you said, John. That, that's a, that's a great point. So so th- these are not necessarily by any stretch of the imagination promoting Catholicism, but I do think there's some points of contact which is kind of interesting. And very often this this hero's journey of redemption, which you see in a lot of movies, no matter who makes them, whether it's Pixar or uh, Lucasfilm Productions, there's a lot of common points to the hero's journey that we all have, and we all have to make that journey of redemption and, and coming back, and uh, sometimes many, many times uh, in our lives. So thank you so much for that call. John in Wisconsin, in traffic, and hey, that's a great place to listen, whether you're in the car uh, or whether you are listening live at home. Uh, you can call in right now, 888 Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. But here's here's somebody who actually did become Catholic from the Star Wars universe in real life. And I'm talking about the guy who played Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm not talking about Ewan McGregor. I'm not talking about the new movies. I'm talking about Sir Alec Guinness, who, of course, played that role. Obi-Wan is an older guy. And, and here's the clip, the famous clip of his fight with Darth, with Darth Vader, this, the, the incredible lightsaber fight that they had. Master of Evil, Darth, and, and of course Darth Vader, played by the great uh, James Earl Jones, voicing Darth Vader. It's a different actor when he finally took his mask off, uh, but James Earl Jones did the voice of Vader. Oh, oh. Okay, all that breathing stuff is kind of cool. Anyways, um, Sir Alec Guinness, of course, played Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he was one of the the biggest actors of the 20th century. He was in a lot of big movies, The Bridge on the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, but of course he's very, very well known, maybe more well known for playing 
Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original Star Wars trilogy. When he was 42 years old, and a Catholic news agency had a piece about this, when he was 42 years old, he converted to Catholicism, did Sir Alec Guinness. And maybe he had a Guinness in celebration. He should have. Uh, and it was really kind of miraculous how all this happened. It's a great little story. And you're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Alec Guinness was born in London in 1914. And unfortunately, he came from a broken family. He didn't know his father, never knew his dad. And he grew up in pretty abject poverty. Now, he was an Anglican. He was a member of the Anglican Church. And when he was 16 years old, he was confirmed. But at that point, even though he went through with it, he, he really didn't know what he himself believed about religion. He was kind of an agnostic, and so he dabbled. He was in all kinds of different things. He flirted with Presbyterianism. He flirted with atheism. He flirted with Marxism, Buddhism. He even went to a few meetings of the Quakers. That's right. He was, I guess you could say he was feeling his spiritual oats a little bit. You know, he be, dabbled with the Quakers. I don't know. Okay. Um, but one of the things that happened to him, and he was very interested in acting even as a young man, and as he was rehearsing for a performance of Hamlet, there was an, an Anglican priest. I don't, I don't know why he was there or what the deal was, but I don't know, maybe Alec Guinness was praying before his rehearsal, and, he, and he's, this Anglican priest saw him blessing himself, and he said, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I don't know how he was doing it. Maybe he was blessing himself, quote-unquote, backwards, which is kind of frontwards if you're orthodox because they, they kind of do it the reverse of how we do it uh, in the Catholic Church and maybe in the Anglican uh, community as well. But at any rate, he was doing it wrong. And so this Anglican priest said, Here, here's how you actually bless yourself. Here's how you make the sign of the cross. Okay. Now, as simple as that might be, that encounter really affected him. It had a big spiritual impact on him. And he started thinking more and more again about Christianity. He said, I've got to return to a practice of my Anglican faith, of my youth. So he, he got really deep into it. And, of course, World War II was taking place at the time. And, you know, whenever there's a world war, obviously people turn to gods. They, they start asking big questions. We've even seen this, of course, at, at the onset of uh, the conflict in Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. That got a lot of people, you know, praying. And we need to keep praying. And it's a terrible thing, but but God can bring some good out of it. People become interested, once again, in spiritual things. And so, during World War II, he was even more uh, deeply involved in Anglicanism. But when he was 40 years old, this was after the war, this is 1954, another experience happened to him. And it had to do with acting again. And this is what really opened the door to Sir Alec Guinness joining the Catholic Church. So, he was in France, and he was filming a movie about... Father Brown. Now, a lot of you guys are big fans of the Father Brown series. There's, of course, a TV show, but they were books written by the great, another convert to Catholicism, another British convert to Catholicism, the great G.K. Chesterton. I referenced him a few minutes ago, and obviously Father Brown is a priest who solves mysteries, who solves crimes, and the Father Brown mysteries are, are beloved all over the world. So, Sir Alec Guinness was making a movie about Father Brown, and he was playing Father Brown. He was playing the title role. So he's dressed up as a priest, he's wearing clerics, and he's just taking a walk. He's taking a break from filming, he's walking down the street, and then all of a sudden, a small child sees him, and he thinks he's a real priest. So he, the, the kid runs up to him and starts talking to him. He grabs his hand, 
And he just walks with him down the road and he's kind of talking to him, father, blah, 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 blah. And the, the, the way that the child talked to him and the way that the child trusted him really moved Sir Alec Guinness deeply. He said, man, th- this, this is amazing. He said, how, how could this be? I, I'm just, the way that this kid a- approached the priest, the, 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 he, he said this. I'm going to actually let him say this in his own words. Here's a quote from Sir Alec Guinness. He said, quote, continuing my walk, I reflected that a church that could inspire such confidence in a child, making priests, even when unknown, so easily approachable, could not be as scheming or as creepy as it's so often made out to be. So I began to shake off my long-taught, long-absorbed prejudices against the Catholic Church, end of quote. And that's the way it should be. You know, the fact that a kid could approach a priest and just, in sincerity, say, okay, you're a spiritual father. And so what's interesting to me about this is that he said, okay, my, my prejudices were long-taught. Most people are prejudiced because it's, they, don't, they don't fall out of the womb that way. It's, it's, it's taught to them. They, they imbibe it from the people around them, whether it's anti-Catholicism or whether it's racism or any kind of prejudice. It's something that you pick up on from people around you. And so that's what happened to him. And he, he recognized that, yeah, as an Anglican in England, I was anti-Catholic. But the other thing that I, that I note about this is that whether it was with the Anglican priest saying, this is how you make the sign of the cross properly, or whether it was this case where the, the kid runs, runs up to him when he's playing this priest in the movie and he thinks he's a real priest. These are kind of random, quote-unquote, random acts. They're very simple. They're very unplanned. They're very somewhat random. I don't think they're random to God because he knew it was going to happen, but those two things really changed his life. And, and they were kind of random acts of love that, that seemingly seemed tiny, but they made a big difference in his life. That little correction that the priest made to him and said, you're doing it wrong, that got him really going. And then the kid coming up to him, that got him thinking about the Catholic Church. But that's not the end of the story. Because right after this, Sir Alec Guinness's son, Matthew, contracted polio, which was very serious at that time. And he, in fact, he almost died. He was very close to death. And so, in his despair and in his anguish, Sir Alec Guinness went to a local Catholic church to pray. And he would pray for his son. And, and he made a deal with God. It, it's always kind of dicey to make, try to make deals with God. But, it, but he tried to make a deal with God. And sometimes I think God responds to these things especially when someone is very new in their faith they're very they need encouragement and and sometimes god gives us these extra graces i think so he said god if you heal my son matthew i'm gonna let my son become catholic if he wants to when he's growing up if he wants to join the catholic church i'll let him do it and guess what his son was healed it was is a bit of a miracle and so he was true to his word. Sir Alec Guinness, when, when his son got a little bit older, he en- they enrolled him in a Jesuit school, a Catholic school. And in fact, not too long after that, the son converted to Catholicism, and so did Sir Alec Guinness and his wife. The whole family did. And he passed away, Sir Alec Guinness did, in the year 2000. So may he rest in peace. So he was able to defeat the dark side, the evil one, not Darth Vader, but of course, a real enemy uh, in the spiritual life. And so Obi-Wan Kenobi... He became Catholic. How about that in real life? You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 
888-900-9149. And we will be right back after this. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. May the 4th be with you. It's Star Wars Day. We talked about the links between the Mandalorian and Catholicism, the creed, redemption, all this stuff. The apostate. Yeah, if you missed uh, the first part of the show, you're definitely going to want to check the podcast. You can stream it. You can share it on the Relevant Radio app. It's always a good idea to go download that right now from the App Store if you don't have it. And you can, it's a great way to share the show with friends. Uh, We rely on you guys. We depend on you guys to get the word out about these shows. If you love them, share them. And there's a great share tool. Just a little button with an arrow on it. And you can just press it, share it with whoever you want, wherever you want. Relevantradio.com is another place that you can go for the shows. And one of the great Star Wars tunes, of course, is the Imperial March. And there's going to be a different kind of Imperial March happening in the UK on Saturday, the coronation of King Charles III, or KC3, as I've liked, as I like to call him. I've already copyrighted that. I have T-shirts ready to go. A little cottage industry. No, no, no. I, I didn't do that. But a lot of people are upset that uh, King Charles, the future—he's not king yet, I guess. You know, let's not count our chickens here. But uh, he will be. He will be. If he can uh, survive till Saturday, he will be. And. A lot of people are upset that Pope Francis gave him, gifted him, some fragments of the true cross. And some people say, how can you do this? He's not Catholic. Uh, the, the, the British monarchs have had a history of persecuting the Catholic Church, going back to Henry VIII. Uh, how could you do this? And, but other people are like, no, it's a gesture of, of goodwill, and it, it's not a big deal at all. Now, these are tiny fragments. Uh, none of them are more than a centimeter in length. And uh, they were to be put into the, uh, I guess, the Welsh cross. And he was the Prince of Wales, of course. So that makes sense. But, but the, the real question is, are, are they, in fact, pieces of the true cross at all? Are they authentic or are they phony? Well, that, that's a very, very difficult question to answer. Now, there are all kinds of We've talked about this in the past. Uh, Archaeology is very important for the biblical world. Dr. Craig Evans and I have worked on archaeological digs. And one of the things that I've mentioned on the show before is that there is a thriving black market um, in allegedly authentic finds from archaeology. A lot of them are fakes. A lot of them are very, very well done fakes that have even fooled a lot of scholars. And so it's hard to know whether or not these fragments that are alleged to be from the true cross of Jesus are actually real. Now, the the first time anybody claimed that they had pieces of the true cross came in 350 AD, about 350 AD. Now, we talked about the Emperor Constantine and how he legalized Christianity and the Roman Emperor Helena, St. Helena, who's the mother of of Emperor Constantine. She was a, a very, very sincere believer. She went to the Holy Land, very famously toured around And it is said that she came back with the true cross or fragments of the true cross. She knew where it was. And there was a site uh, that was uh, at the tomb of Jesus. And she ordered that a church be built at that spot. Now, that, of course, came to be known as the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem. And that's totally legit. That's exactly where the crucifixion happened. And it was said that they found three crosses at that location one of them had this notice that it was, in fact, the one that Jesus was crucified on. 
So that's when they decided to take this back to Rome. Pieces broke off from it, and they were distributed all over the empire. That's 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 what we're told happened. Now, there's no question that a church was built on the site. That did happen. We know it. It's still there today. But the earliest record that we have about this, by the way, comes from a church historian named Eusebius. Now, Eusebius died in the year 339 AD. Now, he, he says nothing about uh, the true cross being discovered there. It's only sometime after that, many, many decades after that, that stories start to get out that they found the true cross. Now, now, just because Eusebius doesn't talk about it doesn't mean that they didn't find it, okay? He just doesn't mention it. So it's kind of an argument from silence, but there was a, there was a very lucrative trade of all these alleged fragments of the true cross in the Middle Ages. And in fact, a lot of them were fakes. One of them actually got examined at Oxford University in the UK. They did carbon dating, carbon-14 dating, and they found out that it's no... It's no younger than 1100 AD, so that that's that's not the cross of Jesus. Okay, it's like over a millennium uh, after Jesus was on the earth, and so a lot of people have mocked this idea of the true cross, and I I am a little bit skeptical about it. I, I must confess. No, there's no question that Jesus was a real historical personage, and I know other people who who are very passionate about this. In fact, I have a priest friend. He gets like upset if anybody ever questions whether these fragments of the true cross are real. He gets really, really upset. Like, he wants to fight people. Um, so I don't talk about it with him, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. To, to me, I mean, did it happen? Was Jesus crucified? Absolutely. Do we have actual relics of the true cross? I, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Now, of course, when the Protestant Revolution got going, uh, they would mock this whole idea of relics. John Calvin, who was one of the big wigs in the Protestant Revolution, he said that, look, if you took all the alleged pieces of the true cross that are out there, put them together, you could build a ship. You could rebuild Noah's Ark. And even a lot of Catholics were doubtful about this. Erasmus, uh, who was a Catholic scholar, uh, a friend of St. Thomas More, uh, he said, look, you could probably build a house with these pieces of the true cross that are out there. So are they real? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I, I do think that uh, relics are something that that uh, are very peculiar to mostly to Catholics, um, although other Christians may have relics as well. That they that they that and uh, the relics are are important because they remind us of the saint, or in, in the case of Jesus, of course, God Himself become man, uh, and and His life, what He's done for us. Um, relics of saints can help us to help to remind us to imitate their virtues for sure. There's been a lot of miracles surrounding relics. We did a whole show on relics recently on the Cale Clark show on Relevant Radio. But of course, we, we can't miss the reality of God himself. And so the relics are not as important as God. I, I will say that. But they are they are important in Catholic tradition. They ought not to be discounted for sure. Every Catholic altar has the relic of at least one saint in it. That's the way, that's the way church law says it has to be. So, um, anyways, it, just thought I'd share that with you because that was one of the stories surrounding the coronation of King Charles coming up on Saturday that uh, has caused a lot of a lot of chatter, a lot of chatter. And, and I hope to have some some more intel for you tomorrow on what's going on there. How are Catholics in Britain reacting to this? Reacting to the coronation? Is it a big deal to them? Are they ignoring it? Are they concerned about it? Uh, we will talk about that tomorrow. Let's go to the phones right now. Didi is in Phoenix. Hi, Didi. Welcome back. A couple times in a week. This is great. 
Well, I, well, I love I love Star Wars. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and I'm sorry, I just got back from work, and um, my que- this is my question. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're doing a compare and contrast uh, mm-hmm. with the movie, mm-hmm. and with either Christianity and or Catholicism. Well, my question is: Have you addressed uh, the scene, very famous scene between Darth Vader mm-hmm. and Luke? Yeah. Course, Spoiler alert. Luke, <laughs> the Bible, <laughs> the Synoptic New Testament, mm-hmm. and where Darth tells Luke, "I am your father." That's What's right. What's the symbolism there? Have you addressed that? Well, yeah, that's that's the the shocking. And we just, uh, if you haven't seen the original uh, Star Wars films, uh, there you have it. Uh, Darth Vader is Luke's father. He says, "Luke, I am your father." All right. I, so here's what I would say about that, uh, Luke. And you, you, you sort of mentioned Luke, the gospel writer, just a minute ago. Luke was a traveling companion, Dee Dee, as you know, of the apostle Paul. And when you read the Acts of the Apostles, you read about the missionary journeys of Paul. And but the book is written by Luke. It's really part two to his gospel. Part one is the Gospel of Luke. Part two is the Acts of the Apostles. They're addressed to the same guy. This guy named. Theophilus, whether it's a real guy or not, or whether it's just sort of general for everybody, because Theophilus means lover of God. So, But it could have been a guy's name, and there's some theories about who that might be. But having said that, there's a certain part in the book where um, Luke switches over and he says, well, Paul did this, Paul did that. And then he says, we went here, and then we did that. So Paul's actually with Luke at this point. And one of the things that St. Paul talks about in his letters is that he said, at one point, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I became your father, your spiritual father. So it's quite possible that Paul said to Luke, Luke, I am your father. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> so I'll just leave that there. And uh, that's my joke for today. Um, I'll be here all week, folks, and I'll definitely be here tomorrow. There's only one day left in the week. That might be a relief to some of you, but uh, we've had a great week so far on the show. It's always fun to spend the time with you. Darth Shaper produced the show. We heard his voice earlier. And uh, Anakin A-Log took your phone calls. (laughs) Stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Go Leafs, go. See if LeBron can win again tonight, too. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.